Welcome to a very special episode of the One For You podcast. For the very first time, we are dedicating an entire episode to the Locarno Film Festival, which just finished its 74th edition. My name is Olivia Cionameo, and today I am joined not by one, not by two, but by three guests. I have here with me Manzi Tivari. Hello, everyone. Alan Motley. Hello. And making his long-awaited return to the podcast, my co-founder, my original partner in crime, Andre Erdin. Hello. Hey! Wow, what a timid hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very muted response. Well, <laughs> how did I end up back here? <laughs> That's what you're no, communicating. Very, very happy to be back. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so... Uh, before we get into like the nitty gritty and talk about like our favorites and our disfavorites, hmm, disfavorites is not a word, about the movies we really wish we hadn't seen, or maybe that we love to hate, uh, just let's talk about our impressions um, of the festival in general. So it was an in-person event, meaning all of us decamped to Locarno, um, which for those who don't know is like in Ticino, which is in the south of Switzerland. Um, yeah, so it was an in-person event, but of course, pandemic is ongoing. So there were certain precautions that were taken, you know, like people had to wear masks in cinemas. There were limited capacities and um, there was the use of the so-called COVID certif certificate, which um, only allows access to certain screenings if you're vaccinated or tested negative recently or just recovered from a COVID infection. So um, not quite business as usual, but uh, still uh, fun was to be had, I would say. <laughs> um, so all of you guys have been to the festival before, right? Like several times, maybe even. Um, this was my very first time, so I have no comparison. Um, but how did your festival uh, or how did this festival version compare to your previous experiences there? <laughs> I go first. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been a couple of times, and I must say it was quite similar in terms of experience. Of course, there was the whole test, uh, like the the certificates you had to show at the entrance sometimes, but generally it was very similar. You could go to the screenings easily, more or less easily. This time was the first time that that uh, did uh, digital booking. Uh, they went online with an app that worked more or less. Uh, or perhaps less, more <laughs> yeah. than Definitely more. less, well, yeah. <laughs> we booked everything um, beforehand. And usually you just have a festival pass and you just show up to a screening. If there's a seat, then you can go in. If not, then you mm. look for something else, which made it less uh, less spontaneous. Yeah, I think that might have been the biggest change for yeah. me is that you could not as casually enter and leave screenings and, you know, get a glimpse of certain films and decide whether you want to finish them. But because, you know, you kind of commit to a seat and take one away from others, uh, you will sit through it. <laughs> I mean, it has, did not stop some people from walking out of the films, I have to say. But yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I booked a lot of tickets for stuff that I did not end up going to. <laughs> did you yeah. cancel them out? Sometimes, but sometimes I realized that it was too late and then I was like, oh, well. Oh, well. Okay, fair enough. So uh, your, your Locarno experience was a little bit special this year, right? Yes. Uh, I've On previous occasions, I've been to Locarno for maybe one or two days uh, as a very much non-professional uh, visitor. But this time I was part of the Locarno Critics Academy, 
which was an international film journalism workshop where uh, nine international critics plus me, uh, we went to screenings together. We had, as I said, workshops, masterclasses, and yeah, we were there for the whole 10 days. Uh, it was very intense. I am very much looking forward to having a nap after we record this podcast. <laughs> um and it's going to take me some time to process all of this, but just generally from the makeup of the festival, I definitely agree with Andre. Like the part of going to the films uh, and going from screening hall to screening hall did not uh, fundamentally change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I had a good time. Like I said, it was the first time. And uh, so we were there for a week. And, you know, it's like, Maybe for those who don't know anything about the festival, it's like you can't just go if you're like a professional, you know, in whatever area of movie making or journalism you work. It's also very much for like it's an audience festival. So you can you can just go show up and like if you don't want to go watch five movies a day, then you watch maybe one and the rest of the day you go, I don't know, swim in the lake or whatever. So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, there's uh, also I think the special atmosphere, especially in, in Locarno with the uh, Piazza screenings. So uh, that's on the Piazza Grande, which is like this um, <clears throat> open place in Locarno. And each night uh, they show one or two movies there. So it's an open air cinema. And it's like, it's an epic space where like 8,000 people fit. And uh, they also did that again this year. And that's actually a lot of fun, even if not all of the, or any of the movies that we saw there were <laughs> truly standouts. <laughs> Yeah, not real. It's it's usually the more accessible, more accessible films. I think uh, two years ago they showed the Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, stuff like that, where you can feel like more of the public is showing up to these than to maybe some of the competition films. But it's it's usually good fun, even if the film is not. Yeah, good times were had. I would agree. Um, so we saw a couple of them, right? We saw yeah. either Red Bell, Free Guy, and you also saw. Vortex, Vortex Andrew, right? the new And we film, saw yeah. the alleys as well. Oh, of course, ah, of course. How could we forget the alleys? We almost went every day, <laughs> yeah, didn't we? Yeah, pra practically. Chairs um, broke down. Chairs were broken. Not by us. Yeah. Not by us. <laughs> that happens every year, we must add. Oh, yeah. And the, the, one, the one piazza screening I went to, the late screening of Animal House, three chairs broke. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but there were not a lot of people there, so... <laughs> I heard the, there was a film called Sinkhole where a house, an entire house sinks into the floor and it was very entertaining because around everybody, people sank into the floor as the chairs broke down. So it was very thematically <laughs> fitting. It's an extra element of yeah. surprise to guys who the screening. Yes, exactly. Yeah. For the cinema. <laughs> yeah. But something is to be said for the programming of the Piazza because it always combines very strange things. Like the alleys was this uh film from where was it from i can't remember i think it was but, the maghreb somewhere yeah but it was this it was this uh like ensemble cast it was about various stories in a neighborhood and very much unlike the film that then was uh vortex which just played in one apartment and also thematically i didn't see any any um overlappings but by combining these, you might find something new, which is also a theme of this podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I think they they always combine them in a in a fun way. Sometimes it seems a bit random, but yeah. yeah, they have the late night screenings and the early ones and it's always yeah, it's always fun. 
Hmm. Like the weirdest combination that we didn't end up then watching, but was like Monte Verita, this like period drama, and Terminator, <laughs> which is just a strange combination. <laughs> you know, you come for Terminator, you stay for Swiss period piece. <laughs> okay, um, so let's quickly talk about the competition. So we're not gonna like focus on that because I don't think it maybe except from apart from Alan, who sort of had to for professional reasons. We didn't watch the movies along like competition lines, but more went for like what sounded interesting. But let's have a quick talk or you know listen to a lecture by Alan about the winner of the Pardodoro, which is the main prize of the festival because he's the only wow. one who's seen it. I'm sure it will be very entertaining. <laughs> Alan, tell us. Wait, 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 wait. It's like so. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the prize, the main prize, Barudoro uh, went to an Indonesian film called Vengeance is Mine, All Others Pay Cash by a director simply called Edwin. And like I said, Alan is the only one among us who has actually seen the film, but luckily he has, he has seen it twice. So uh, Alan, tell us about the film and your reaction to it. Okay, so I also had the pleasure of uh, interviewing uh, Edwin, where, uh, among other things, I learned that uh, the English title is not a perfect translation of the original Indonesian. Uh, so the original Indonesian translates to, like uh, revenge, longing must be paid in full, uh, which might even be a more accurate title. Uh, okay, so what is the film about? It's uh, set in 1980s Indonesia under the, the dictatorship of Suharto and it focuses on a young guy who looks like a weird cross between uh, Neymar, the footballer, and uh, Taika Waititi. <laughs> uh, and he is a very adept uh, martial artist and he also he is also impotent. That is a very big uh, theme in the movie. The novel on which the movie is based uh, is also narrated from the perspective of his penis. <laughs> um, and the movie is essentially, um, it follows his uh, journey from yeah fighting addict to uh, when he falls in love uh, with another martial artist uh, who beats the crap out of him. And then they uh, she sends him where she dedicates uh, romantic songs on the radio to him. And then he's like, oh, there might be something there. And then through that, he kind of gets sucked into the criminal underworld. And then the longer the movie takes, the more it uh, sprawls out into many different directions. And it's also very like genre pastiche-y. So it's a, it's a martial arts film. Uh, it's a gang. It's a gangster crime drama it's very romantic it's very funny there's a a lot of uh quite brutal comedy at times so like one of the funny funniest slash most violent moments is a person getting a metal spike through their head Oof. but it's uh and it's like it, it's it's gruesome but in the context of the scene it's just also really funny and this is like the perfect <laughs> example for why i think this movie is great because uh yeah it's the international competition is very much like dour art film and then you see a movie like that and it's just cinema in all its manifold glory and i appreciate <laughs> it very much for that and it's also uh i mean it's a 
it's a cliche to talk about, like to frame discussions uh, in this way at this point, but it is very much a movie also about, you know, toxic masculinity, machismo, um, and the classic gender dynamics of uh, of genre films. And I think they did a really good job at subverting those conventions. And also the movie was uh, bought for international distribution by the Match Factory, which means that there is an actual chance that we'll get to see this in theaters here, or at least at, for example, the Neuchâtel Fantastic Film Festival. Nice. Mm. Sounds mm. very interesting. A little bit sour about missing it now. Yeah. yeah. I really want to see it now. <laughs> it is very we saw, I think the, the other film we saw in the competition, or I don't know, Alan, have you also seen Cop Secret? Sadly not. I had to skip that because I needed to go to the press screening for Ida Red. Uh, Regrets. uh, (laughs) Regrets. (laughs) Serious regrets. (laughs) Because I think Cop Secret is the other film in the competition that was uh, more fun than the Mm. usual uh, competition fair. It's um, also a genre-savvy film, poking fun at the uh, um, police action film, buddy cop movie. And it's, uh, it's directed by the Icelandic national um goalkeeper so that's a fun fact there <laughs> because <laughs> as i hear most most of them or most of the icelandic football players are not full-time football players so this one just also is a director <laughs> and uh <laughs> going from your day job to your night job yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let me just make a movie we should maybe just mention his name it's a uh, hannes thor haldorsson <laughs> Um, is this is the director of of this movie? Yeah, and the the protagonist is the toughest cop in Reykjavik, and he's um, <laughs> he's. Uh, I'm already he's abused. A... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he uh, he's uh, very afraid of this other cop who might might be even tougher than him, who's uh, in a different jurisdiction outside of Reykjavik, but they have this little competition going on. And then uh, when the, the, the other cop, I can't remember his name, becomes his partner, they have to... Work together. Work together. For success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like really a lot also what you said, Alan, before about Vengeance is Mine, you know, like it's a spoof of this toxic masculinity thing where you're like, oh, the boozy, you know, cop who's like his life is fucked up and his job is everything. And then, you know, there's this beautiful woman, whatever, who with whom he has worked together and romance and blah, blah, blah. And, and this movie sort of upends all of that. And it's really, really funny while doing it, I have to say. Mm. Um, and like one of the big pluses is the, is the score, um, mm-hmm. which is this bombastic uh, orchestra thing. It's an orchestra thing, right? I think so. Um, And it's uh, by uh, Christian Sturla Bjarnason. And uh, it's just, it's used to such great effect, like the drama, but in a fun way. So yes, I had a really good time watching this movie. And there's also a lot of football featured because the, 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 the ending set piece is uh, the the women's football teams playing for the qualification against the English uh, team. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of football featured, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do want to see this movie. It's really <laughs> not, like the villain is, you know, just uh, this, this, the spoof of every bad villain who's like, do you know what happens to an Albanian armadillo when you drown, drown it in water or whatever for six days? It drowns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a lot of fun facts about animals. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> a defining character trait, an American accent, and a love for animal fun facts. Yeah. Definitely. And it's also about, like, you know, henchmen's rights and stuff, like what kind of expectations they have working for a boss like oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, every second person in the movie is a model. So Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a side hustle besides being a cop. <laughs> Alright, so that was Cop Secret, which was also a competition film. Um, should we talk about the, some other competition films, maybe? Um, sure. Okay, so wait, we, we, we picked some that we, that we all saw that week, because there were like 209 movies at the <laughs> film festival, so obviously we didn't see all of them. <laughs> Olivia, how dare you reveal our secrets? Oh, damn it. Oops. We have I mean... absolutely seen all of these. <laughs> yes. Pasha. Okay, um, do you want to talk about Lucifer? Uh, André, do you want to introduce it? Sure. Lucifer by Peter Bunde and um, featuring Franz Rodowski, which is one of my favorite German-speaking actors. Um, he plays the son of a fanatically Christian mother secluded in the Austrian Alps. And um, they, they're... They def they try to defend their home by uh, intruders in the in the form of drones, and these these outside forces want to take their home to make it a, a skiing resort. Um, it sounds funnier than it is because it's a very <laughs> dreary film. <laughs> this is not a comedy. It's, it's very unlike the other two films that we talked about. It's this is more the typical uh, international competition fair. Um, what I thought was quite interesting about it, especially in the first half, I think the first half achieves more than the second, is that it isn't really about creating an immersion, but it kind of ties like loosely connected scenes into a into an atmosphere um, in which the edit plays a major role and me me being interested in the editing, I thought it was quite inspiring to see that, um, seeing the edit really contributing to the storytelling and creating this atmosphere. And um, sadly for me, the second half didn't really deliver on what was being set up in the first half. And um, yeah, that was, it's, it's kind of falling apart a little mm. bit. And but nevertheless, I thought it was quite inspiring. I think that's maybe the reason that we didn't think it was quite as successful is what you mentioned mm. as a strength in the first half, namely that it weaves together various plots very loosely, but then these never truly successfully come together. They're sort of left fraying in the wind. Um, yeah. 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 I guess it's more about the mood that they're trying yeah. to achieve, but it's very... Yeah, mm. and thematically, it's not so fulfilling because you expect a lot more layers. But in the end, it's just like, ah, yes, this um, very old, old, um, Thai, old way of living up in the Alps, and the 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 new way of living coming up there, and uh, in the form of very technological uh, drones. It's it's a very it's a very um, old, um, perhaps a uh, simplistic critique. Yeah, very simplistic of technology. Critique. Or modernity. Yeah, but I think it like sort of accidentally veers into that. I don't think they did that on purpose. Yeah. I think they yeah. set up different themes of like of religion and like and motherhood and 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 you know um, questions of of love and abuse and all of these things, and then sort of somehow make mm -hmm. it end being about technology. 
<laughs> yeah, but we should say, um, so the main actor who plays the mother, her name is um, Susanne Jensen. So she's not a professional actor. She's a, she's a, how do you say? It? She's an amateur. Um, but she was like, I mean, we have to, even though this movie was not, I think for me, she was really, really good in it. You'd never have thought that, that she wasn't a professional actor. Mm. Yeah, generally, I think there's a lot of elements that work, like the acting is really strong, I think. And um, the camera is also very strong. It's it's very, very well done technically, but it doesn't really come together. And that that's, I think, it also represents most of the competition films for me, because most of them had like something going for it, but then it doesn't really come together. And that's, yeah, it's a bit disappointing overall. Yeah, and uh, Lucifer, I also felt that, and again, this is very much a, th a theme throughout the competition, I thought, is that, as you mentioned, there's a, there's an idea, but it, then it doesn't develop the idea. And you think mm -hmm. maybe it could have just taken one of those ideas and made a movie about it, or maybe even a short film, because I feel <laughs> like something like Lucifer, especially with the way it's edited, would uh, probably lend itself to like a 35-minute short film or something whereas here then when you actually have to deliver on the things that you uh that you set up uh yeah then then that quickly you know goes awry i would say and this is very much a theme in the competition that lots lots of good ideas executed poorly or suboptimally <laughs> because the short films were very good that we've seen mm -hmm. I didn't see a single one. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the short films, uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of the feature films. Um, do you guys want to talk about Medea? Okay, so Medea is directed by Alexander Zeldovich, who introduced the film as a two-hour, 18-minute, and 26-frame um, journey into a sort of modern adaptation of the Greek myth in modern-day Russia. It kind of portrays a maligned woman who is depicted as, you know, resorting to sex to sort of negotiate power imbalances um, between men and women. It meanders, it is aesthetically and visually full and interesting to look at, but a little bit loose and inert on the story level. Yeah, very much agree. I think I was, during watching it, I, I quite enjoyed it for the aesthetics and the acting, once again, good and but the more I think afterwards we talked about it and the more I thought about it, the less I liked it. And yeah. it, it has lots to do with what Alan said before. that These ideas, they seem rather accidental in the end. Like it's not really telling me anything. It's of course it takes choices. It takes a lot of choices. Um, and I think technically again, good, but it I, I haven't really thought about it since. And as you hear, I'm struggling to describe <laughs> it. <so. laughs> There's a lot of nothing. There's a lot of nothing. There's a lot of like nice set pieces yeah. and short encounters that always end up with her having sex with men. And you feel like, ah, yes, she is somehow, t the film is somehow talking about the, the, the power that she gains from, from like conquering these men. But is it really, I don't know. I mean, There's it objectifies to... her too much to then make her an yeah. agent in this or even, you know, describe her as a victim of, you know, the actions of her husband. In, in a way, it just doesn't fully come together. Yeah. And that is disappointing. I think what is missing in a way is like, right, because 
So I'm not super familiar with the myth, but you know, if you know the myth, you know how it ends, right? But like, so what you need to see is a woman who somehow descends into madness, you know, so we can arrive at the end. And this needs to be a compelling journey. Like you need to be with her on this journey so you can see how this happens. And I feel like the movie sort of doesn't take you there. It's just like you're, you're looking at it from the outside and then you see like this, you know, I guess trophy girlfriend who's just, I don't know, banging her way through men because I don't know, revenge, money, whatever. Mm. But it doesn't, it doesn't, um, strike any like emotional connections or anything. So, or mm. make you, make you understand like this, these very, very drastic actions that she takes at the end, which are then crammed into like the final five minutes. And so mm. I have to say, I mean, I don't exactly like can I can't really recreate exactly now what I was feeling, but the movie made me really angry. I was like really angry for the rest of the evening after having seen <laughs> it because it just has this understanding of of like sex as the the answer to everything, whatever it is, whatever the question is, uh, sex is the answer, and that like pissed me off. I don't. Know. I don't Alan, did you see this? Movie? I didn't, but can I, in on the on the topic of sex, can I just again say, <laughs> vengeance is mine. The thing with uh, impotence, it's connected to trauma, but it never like makes it uh, makes it a theme that like the lack of uh, usage of the penis in a sexual way is a uh, like is a major problem. Like the romance doesn't suffer for it, and this is one of the reasons why the movie is so great. I have not seen Medea. That's all I can. <laughs> more pra more praise for one of the like three very good or good to very good competition films i've seen Ooh, okay what are the other two uh a new old play uh -huh. three-hour chinese movie that i was too tired uh to like fully grasp but i still really liked it uh and espiritu sagrado the uh -huh. uh, spanish dark comedy that i really like and i don't think you enjoyed but no 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 okay let's okay. get into this let's get into <laughs> this so espiritu sagrado um do you, does someone want to introduce it? I fell asleep. I, I can't. <laughs> okay, Alan. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I have to uh, preface this by saying, like, if the our Critics Academy conversations over these 10 days had one uh, constant apart from Switzerland is hella expensive, it was... Um, God, these international competition films suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we were so happy with something like Vengeance. But okay, uh, Espiritu Sagrado. So it's set in uh, Elche in Spain, which I gather is a very um, unexciting town. Uh, and it focuses on uh, a guy who is part of a group of ufologists, uh, so UFO enthusiasts. And also there is a child missing who, if I remember correctly, is his niece. Um, and the movie essentially follows him and what he might or might not have to do with uh, his niece's disappearance and his relationship to the missing niece's twin sister. Um, so his other niece. And I don't want to give away too much because I feel like the movie uh, profits from leaving you in the dark and unfolding uh, as it goes along and i appreciated it because it has a very it has first of all once again it's funny it's not like <laughs> it's not like dour in this uh festivaly way where it just tries it's uh, it's hardest to make you feel bad 
which you know it's very easy to make uh, to just take a depressing subject matter and then make the audience feel bad i always feel that's a bit of a I don't know, a bit of a cheap solution. Uh, and I feel that Espiritu Sagrado uh, does the opposite. It takes a quite quite a depressing uh, subject matter and then it brings a very like dark comedy sensibility to it. And I also thought it was visually done very interestingly, very consistently. Uh, I like the use of color in the movie. There are some very memorable, uh, very memorable images. And I don't quite know if I'm fully in agreement with how the everything ends. But it was one of those movies where I was, uh, I was willing to forgive that because I found it both uh, intriguing and reasonably entertaining. And it kind of, it, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase? Uh, I can't remember the phrase, but uh, it surprised me. And I was at this festival, I was very happy to be surprised in a positive way. Mm, well, I'm surprised you like this movie because I did not like this movie at all. <laughs> no, it's just like because you said um, it's a funny movie and I see where you're coming from because it's like this very deadpan delivery, right? Everything they're saying, mm. even the most absurd things that they're saying because they're this ufologist group. They're just, it's set with a straight up face, but I just, for me, it just meant that I wasn't engaged rather than laughing about it because it was just I did not think at all that it was funny I have to say I don't know what did you guys fair, think fair enough well I spent some of my time laughing I th I was uh very amused by the deadpan delivery by the niece my favorite thing was probably the the leopard prints that cropped <laughs> up um in the film which is something that we enjoy uh pointing out at the festival in general you should um, maybe say why <laughs> Okay, so we've had this tradition of betting how many people we will see dressed in leopard print paying homage to the festival um, mascot in a way. And this year... Manzi won. I won. <laughs> I also won was, in the previous year, I think. Manzi was one off. She said 50 and then she counted 50. 51. I counted oh, 51. 51. 51. Yeah, uh, yeah, one off, yes. Yes. Anyway, so uh, that was... Anyway, aside from that, I think it was... Comedic, I enjoyed it watching a lot of these bits, but I think the ending is something that, in a way, I, I saw coming, but I wasn't fully happy with how it was executed, which soured some of the rest of the experience for me. I was asleep for half of it. I cannot comment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that also is a comment on the movie. It, it, it was in uh, the la uh, latter half of the, of the, of the festival. <laughs> About it was in the latter girl. half of the festival. It and, happens and, to the best of us. And it happens, and you watch free, uh, free films a day at some point. It's hot. It's, it's hot. We it, were in La Tra Sala, yeah. which is well known to be the least comfortable yeah. of the venues. And yet I found it. <laughs> and <funny>. yet. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we had, a, we had a Critics Academy discussion about this, because like especially like slow cinema um, directors, so like uh, Tsai Ming Liang or uh, Apicha Pong, Vera Setakul, and like people like that, they're very into like telling audiences you know if you fall asleep it's fine because then you basically co-create the movie as you are dreaming and as you're drifting in and out of sleep and that is perfectly okay and uh, we were like you know sleeping in the cinema it's also an art form unto itself uh -huh. oh Alan, that, that sounds so magical better. i love that <laughs> 
I had this several times when I was near sleep at this festival because like uh, you have these like seconds of, of sleep of dozing off and your brain does some stuff and then for a moment you're like did this happen in my brain or did the movie do, uh, did, did the movie do this and this is a very novel way of watching movies I have to say <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough so Espiritu Sagrado some people enjoyed it one person did not one person cannot comment Okay. <laughs> um, do you... okay. So I mean, so we've talked about movies that some of us at least have liked, but there's also some movies that just stay with you because you're amazed at how like anyone could ever make such a movie. And I feel like for us, this was uh, Vanishing Gods this time. Yeah. Well. Yes. 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 I already yes. heard you talk about this, but I am so excited to hear you talk about it again. <laughs> For the record, I did not see this movie, but I wish I had. <laughs> Do you know, I think more people should have seen it simply so we can talk about it, because it has been one of my main takeaways, even if I did not like it. It was just, it's a big question mark. That's mm. the space it takes up in my head. How? Why? <laughs> Wherefore? Wherefore, indeed. Was it, was it Was it the first film we've seen? That was indeed the yeah. first film we saw. If we are, apart from Starship Troopers, which is... Ah, know, yes. Oh, right. That was the day before. So... Hard to describe. I I feel like the best way to describe this is, is is my experience of going into this film for the first 15 minutes thinking I'm in the wrong film <laughs> because they mention a different title because it's like constructed around these chapters and it's called The Psyche Ward. And it's like, it's about a man coming to a psychiatrist and explaining to him that he feels like a puppet. Something and, like that, or the, he is a. They are he both is a puppets. Puppet. And then they become puppets, and they start dreaming, or no, they start going into um, what do you call it? Well, uh, the psychiatrist hypnotizes, hypnotizes the patient, and the patient suffers from these implanted memories of the filmic history of puppets. And we see a lot of other films shown, like uh, uh, what was it? Like the the Conjuring. Arabella thing like a lot of like other puppets in films Doctor that Who. speak a uh, Doctor Who was there it's it's like but what was baffling to me is not even the story itself which could have been fun <laughs> but the make of the film because it was so terrible that I first first thought okay it's a satire this is a really well done satire because it makes me laugh. It makes me appreciate the craft of making something so horribly bad. Ooh. But then it just doesn't get better. And there's no, like, at some point it just becomes apparent that this filmmaker has no skill at all. And I could just see, like, there was not a single cut in this film. There was just fades. And it was like... The, the man was too afraid to use hard cuts. So he just faded every hard cut in his film and everything is like blending into each other. And it's just like this weird collective fever dream we had. Yes, it was extremely strange. Like it starts <laughs> off in a way where you're like, aha, this is a parody, right? Because it starts off like from the point of view of like the camera, like the patient arrives at this doctor's house and this guy is like wearing... Um, uh, monocle and he's just like he has a, a mustache and he's like speaking in this affected accent like oh you have returned I have much to tell you oh no 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 and I was like what is this a parody but it's just 
that's just the, that's just the film. And then I don't know if it's like an essay that is making an argument about cinema and how in a way it's like an ancient tradition because it's like saying, you know, the first people who like spoke with voices not their that were their own were like the I don't know, like sibyls and 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 prophets and so on. So like with the voices of the gods and then we move on to ventriloquism and like haunted puppets and you're like, but where is this going? And the puppetry, <laughs> my God. Bad puppetry. It's very bad. For a film all about puppets, that was like the, the worst puppetry I've ever seen. It was terrible. And I have not seen a lot of puppetry. <laughs> I have not seen a lot of puppetry, but this was the worst. I mean, I think what really stuck with me was a few moments where the patient puppet had a sort of seat. <laughs> and it went on for a very, very long time. And I just remember you crying tears of laughter. <laughs> Because it was so absurd because you go to Locarno and it's like this pristine festival where like art films are being shown and you're in this in this cinema and there's a bunch of critics and a bunch of audiences and everybody seems to take this film very serious and it was just this whole atmosphere of everybody being so focused on this film and I, I just couldn't. I, I started laughing from like 10 minutes in and that didn't stop Told until you. the end. It was, it <laughs> but was... you might have been a fool. <laughs> Everyone else was very I, serious I, I tried to hold back, oh. but then I started crying from laughing and holding it back. It was just, it was, and every time, every time he had a little fit, it was like four <laughs> times. And it goes on for a solid half a minute and it feels really, really long. Everything felt really long. And there's also inserts of these, of these, images like this painting from uh, what is the painting oh called? yeah it's about the, the la salpetriere um, painting about like the hysterical women and how they're treated by the doctors there yeah and there's like zoom-ins and failed attempts at like ken burn effect where it's like <laughs> going around in the picture it's like really really shoddily done on a technical level and yeah it was it was the such an odd experience yeah. So, Ross Lipman, who made this, we only have questions. <laughs> yes. Yes, please contact the podcast. Explain I'm sure you want this. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to have a conversation with that man, honestly. About hard edits and their benefits in filmmaking. <laughs> uh, so, that was uh, the case of the Vanishing Gods, in case, you know, that got piqued your interest, then uh, please go check that out. Yeah. <laughs> Can, um, I, can I add my uh, my pedophile movie into the mix? Oh my god, Jesus! Oh. Yes, oh if you, please if tell you us must. about it. <laughs> okay, um, well, <laughs> I will I will preface this by saying uh, Locarno always has a retrospective, and uh, this year's retrospective was dedicated to uh, Italian filmmaker Alberto Latuada, who, um, particularly in the forties and fifties, directed a lot of. Um, high-profile neorealism adjacent movies, uh, which, yeah, are pretty celebrated. Uh, if you want to know more about Retrospective and about La Tuada, um, my Critics Academy colleague Fuang Le from uh, Vietnam wrote a very beautiful piece on that in uh, Swiss on Swiss Info, so you can check that out. Um, but yeah, La Tuada worked into, I think, the 70s or the 80s, and our mentor called this latter half of his career his late pedophile phase. Um, and always promising. Always promising. 
And as we were, you know, over the 10 days, we kept complaining about the international competition and everybody was going to see those early Latuadas. And then uh, our mentor at some point was like, Alan, if you're frustrated, you should just go see a Latuada. And then on my final day yesterday, I finally saw my first uh, Latuada. It's uh, Bambina, or as it's called in the uh, original Italian, uh, Le Faro da Padre. But this movie is from uh, 1974. But then I also thought, yeah, you know, how they're dedicated an entire retrospective to this guy. So like, how how bad can this late pedophile phase be? <laughs> well, it turns out it's about like a, a 35 year old guy who wants to get some land uh, for like uh, developments and stuff. And uh, he uh finds out that his best bet of doing that is to marry the uh, non-verbal autistic 16-year-old nymphomaniac daughter of uh, the local uh, uh, noblewoman. Um, and in order to get a better deal for himself, he also has to, he also concocts a plan to kidnap uh, her and have her raped. So... Yeah, you think, oh, okay, this is about how sick he is and everything. But no, it's a love story. So, like, he totally falls in love with this uh, with this 16-year-old girl who doesn't speak and who just keeps babbling to herself like she's, a, uh, like, she's like, doing... It's, it's also very offensive on, like, an able, from an ableism standpoint. But, like, that's a whole different problem <laughs> this movie has. And they keep referring to her as this perfect object, this sex slave, oh, this God, perfect no. woman. And then there's, because it's the 70s and it's, like, it's free, free love Italian cinema, you get a lot of... Uh, shots of her naked body and him caressing her and then there's also stuff with bodily fluids and uh, it's very like also yeah she's teaching me a new way to uh, a new way to to live and to love um yeah i don't want to go into too much detail but i saw it i saw this <laughs> i saw this movie at nine in the morning with uh, two critics who were in a, who were in a former who were former who are former critics academy people so shout out to uh, nathan and lucia for suffering through it with me and then <laughs> we came out afterwards and lucia was just like i'm feeling suicidal <laughs> i want my mommy <laughs> oh my god this sounds horrific it is horrific <laughs> why would they show this although we have to say i mean just a quick thing because it's another theme also with uh like what was it called zeros and ones the um what's the name abel ferrara yeah. Movie. Um, there's also a scene in there that I would say constitutes a rape, but is in a way uh played like not romantically, but like in a, a successful seduction. Yes. In yeah. a way where you're like, oh my god. So I feel like that's uh that's something I know this movie's from the seventies, but that movie's from twenty twenty one, so I feel like we haven't uh entirely left this behind Ugh, that sounds terrible so now do you have like do you even want to watch any of his other movies i did go see another movie uh yesterday because uh, i could <laughs> i could not in good conscience uh, let bambina be the last uh the last movie i see at locarno 2021 <laughs> so i went uh, again with lucia we needed to cleanse our palate so we went to uh, the late screening of mafioso from uh, 1962 by latuada and that was much better it was a, a very ambitious blend of gangster drama 
culture clash comedy and uh, kind of class conscious neo neorealism. And it's about uh, uh, it's about a man who works in Milan and he goes back to his family in Sicily on a family holiday. And then he gets uh, caught up in the uh, local uh, mafia business. And I enjoyed it a lot. It's uh, very well done. It's quite funny, well acted and has one of the wildest location changes I've ever seen in cinema. And it pulls it off quite gloriously. So... Yeah, I think like the 1968, uh, the, the development of 1968 were, uh, did a number on uh, La Tuada's mind. This is, yeah, okay. uh, this is the explanation I'm settling on. Okay, like so... pre-1968, probably good, but then afterwards things get a little shady. Okay, cutoff point. If you are interested in his movies, <laughs> take the early ones. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about the competition, we've talked about the piazza, we've talked about the retrospective, but now we must talk about what I think was the highlight of my uh, festival experience, namely the short films. So, and I think this is like a format that really obviously profits from uh, from the festival setting, because otherwise I think short films have a bit of a, a difficult stance outside, but I have to say like uh, here, like, they were really, really uh, strong. Uh, it was a really strong selection. So, like, uh, it's uh, called Parto uh, di Domani, right? The the section, and it's uh, just like every day there's a block of like new um, shorts, and usually the directors are there, and they're very often, you know, like uh, early, early in their career, and and the writers and whoever, and uh, and they're there to present their films, and like this is me, this is what I can do, and I was like, yes, you're doing great. I mean, some of them, not all of them, but like <laughs> the best one, I think the is um my or my favorite at least was um first time, or as it's also called, the time for all but sunset violet, which I don't know where that part is coming from, so we're just gonna call it first time. So this is a German um movie by uh, Nicolas Schmidt, and basically, so it starts off with the um, 1987 uh Coca Cola commercial, which uh, is uh. Play is is played to the uh, Robin Beck song, so first time. I'm sure that you all know, but I don't, I'm not going to sing because I can't sing and I also don't want to get sued. And um, basically, so you have this very 80s um, ad. It starts with that and then it's just like switches to the now and it's about this guy who is sitting in, in, a, in a train and he's on this train journey. And then after a few minutes, another guy comes and sits down across from him and uh, then they journey on this train for the next, like, 50 minutes. And there's one sentence that is spoken <laughs> at the end of this of this uh, short. And otherwise, it's just their journey through um, Hamburg, I think it is, right? And it's just, like, this intense... You pay attention because nothing happens. And you think, you know, it might be boring. But some stuff happens. And the longer it goes on... And by stuff, I mean like, oh, he moved his hand. Oh, he looked over there. And, you know, and then the longer it goes on, I feel like the more I got pulled in and it was um, start making up your own stories about it. And, you know, like, I was like, oh, maybe it's a critique of uh, how capitalism writes our script of romance or, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it just pulls you in more and more and more. And like the end is like fantastic. And I, I really, really liked it. Yeah, I mean, we must also say it's it's basically one shot, mm. so there's not even like reaction shots or anything. It's just like them sitting there across from each other, 
and you can see outside the window and sometimes there's a coca-cola ad in the background. <laughs> i don't know an is accident? it is it an accident is it not is it what is what there's no focus really but because of the lack of focus i start examining the scene very much so there's also other um, people entering the train sitting down somebody holding flowers and it's like it it seems all very co uh, accidental but somehow it feels also not it's and you make up your own stories as olivia said yes yeah, a very very cheeky film i felt <laughs> by the director forcing us to sort of become very active in the production of the story in a way that i really really enjoyed and i do think it you know you spend maybe five minutes uh maybe losing interest perhaps closing a cheeky eye <laughs> until you wake up and you i don't know just completely fall into the the world of this train this Dreibahn, which <laughs> circles around and comes back to its uh first stop and is apparently famous for its sort of touristic mm. locations um that it passes through really really good times with first time Okay, um, another one that we really enjoyed was Ding, or The Thing in English. Um, we just have to have a little disclaimer here, because Andre is uh, he knows the people who made it, because they are students of the ZHDK, so that's the film school here in Zurich. So do you want to introduce us to the movie? Pascal Egli and Aurelio Ghirardelli, they are both uh, bachelor students, and they did a documentary film on objectophiles, speaking about their love life. Uh, and their partners, one of which is um, a piano stand, so like a, what do you call it, Notestande. Yeah, yeah, basically that flappy thing that you can put up to put your note. Your notes up on the piano, and the other is a, a roof. And it's it's kind of absurdist, funny, but in a very in a way where I'm not making where the film is not making fun of them and then at no point I thought I'm I'm laughing at them but I'm laughing with them and I think the genius of it it's 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 framed by these two musical scenes where at first um one of them is playing the piano and it's it's silenced because it's a silent piano and she's, she's playing with headphones and it's 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 kind of funny and it allows me to laugh but not really at them because it's also very heartfelt. And at the end, there is a there's a karaoke scene with the other, and it's just it it gives me the opportunity to to be like, oh wow, okay, this is this is is a is a funny way of uh, this is um, this is something unknown and weird, but because they are also allowed to talk and explain themselves and their situation they're very open and they're giving this they're given this platform it's also very heartfelt and I, I feel like I, I really connected to to the to the protagonists and overall it's just it's quite short it's like around 15 minutes and I, I feel like I learned something I I got close to these to these to these women and it's not explore, exploratory at all and just very well done overall. I really enjoyed it. Yes, I agree with that. And uh, it's very interesting <laughs> because um, I, I do agree that the movie is not exploitative at all. And yet in the cinema, there were quite a few people who felt the need to laugh. I don't know, because um, mm. maybe they felt a little bit awkward about it or like strange and didn't exactly know how to react. So they, they laughed. But I or think they're terrible people. I mean, this... yes, Alan, the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were also in the wrong seats, so definitely. 
There you go. <laughs> no, sorry, um, go on. Yeah, no, it's just... Uh, uh, but right, it's a, such a strange thing, and in a way, it it, it works in a way where you, like I don't understand, you know, like what's going on in a way, like or, but I can, I don't know, empathize now with with them, you know, because mm. they sort of talk about the, like why they're feeling this, and one of them is talking about how she fell into fell in love with the like the corner of the of the uh, of the roof and then she's talking about the characteristics of the roof and so on and you're like huh okay but i believe you that you fell in love with it because there's also then moments of sort of tenderness between her and the roof and that could have been very strange but it's the way um it is presented to us is very uh understanding instead i would say i think what was also interesting is after the screening we spoke with um one of the directors, Aurelio, and he mentioned that they, he'd seen it twice with an audience and both times there had been very, very different responses to both the sort of funny moments or where people felt they had to laugh. And he mentioned, this is just sort of um, in response to what you said earlier, the fact that there is a lot of tension in watching these people be in love with or mar even married to uh, objects. Um, and how do you release it? In what moments... Do you release it or how do you sort of process these feelings because you become so close to understanding them? And I think that is a very enigmatic uh, sort of position to present. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we really enjoyed theme. Okay. All right. So like those are just like two of the short films because usually they would be that we now talk about because they would be like four to five in a block. So there's like a lot of short films. Um, but uh, these, I think, were the standouts for us. Okay. So uh, overall... I mean, I feel like the uh, we we said it already, but like overall, we were a bit whelmed by at least the feature films. <laughs> no, yes, you can't just yes, not, yes. guys. People can't see you. <laughs> How can they not understand our visual cues? Yes. Unbelievable, rude. No, it's, it's well absolutely. Yeah, they it's, were. But it's still fun, you know. You yeah. go to the festival and you watch these films and. Because you have to, usually there's also directors and cast and producers that come on stage and there's a Q&A. And if you're interested, then there's a lot of ways to engage with these films or even just talk to your friends about it afterwards. And I think even though we watched a lot of mediocre to bad films, we I got a lot out of out of it because I, I was able to talk about them. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I just, yeah. I really yeah. yeah. I just wanted to say like, even the, among the movies that I didn't love, like uh, there was a lot in them that uh or there was a lot in several of them that i did really like so for example uh after blue by bertrand mondico uh, one of the competition films not a great movie because it's 130 minutes long and doesn't really have a script uh or much of a script to uh, to speak of it's probably one of the greatest looking movies i've ever seen in my life so you know there's uh there's a lot to be gained even from the movies you don't love Mm -hmm. yeah Thanks. and there's a lot of you know it's also it's also these are the films that are not they're curated but not to a wider public mm -hmm. but they're here to be discovered mm -hmm. so this is a place to discover movies so if if you if you're interested then this is definitely a place to be and Locarno especially is, is very has a very daring selection usually it's not safe and yeah yeah makes you think about films beyond just liking or disliking them mm -hmm. um and I mean, that's why something like Vanishing Gods is, 
I will keep coming back to this. Perhaps <laughs> in the middle of the night, I will find an answer to why was it made this way. But this is this is a lot more interesting to me than, you know, just being like, oh, that was a, a decent, acceptable film that I have forgotten. Hmm. And that was it for this very special episode of the One For You podcast. Um, Alan, where can people read some of your other reviews about the films? Uh, here and there. Uh, so you can, uh, they're all linked on my, uh, uh, on my blog, facingthebittertruth.com. Um, if you want to go straight to the source, swissinfo.ch um, and cinemand.ch are two good uh, resources. But just go to my blog, you'll find everything there. Excellent. So uh, Alan, Manzi and Andy, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be me here. Thank us. You. I don't I don't presume to speak <laughs> for the other two. <laughs> <laughs> so um next episode we will be talking about the miniseries Nine Perfect Strangers. To keep up to date with the podcast in the meantime, follow us on social media where we're at one for you pod. Here next time. Bye. 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 Bye.